In this episode of the Arnamancy Podcast, I'm going to be interviewing artist and printmaker Travis Lawrence. But before we get into that, I've got some housekeeping that we got to take care of first. So the Arnamancy shop is now open on the website. First of all, I'm in a new book on tarot called A Small Collection of Specialized Spreads. And this is a collection of uh, cardamantic spreads from over a dozen amazing tarot and oracle readers, including me, Coleman Stevenson, Meredith Graves, Greg Tra, Claire Burgess, and a bunch more. There's also my class, Introduction to Sigils, which is now available as a digital download. You can find a link to the Arnamancy shop in the show notes, or just go to my website. It's pretty prominent there. Next, my next online class, Planetary Magic 1, should be available soon, and it might even be available by the time this episode is released, so go check my website for more. The website, you know, arnamancy.com. Next, if you love this podcast and you listen to it regularly, I encourage you to support it via Patreon, a membership platform where I offer monthly bonus content and early previews of episodes and blog posts. Membership levels start as low as just $1 a month. Finally, if you love the podcast, if you keep listening to it, please help spread the word about the Arnamancy podcast. Reviews don't help as much as word of mouth. So tell your friends about it. Tell your tarot friends, your witches, your occultists, your astrologers, students of esotericism, mystics, and weirdos. It really, really helps us out. So thanks for your time and attention. Now, please enjoy my interview with Travis Lawrence and my surprise guest host, Coleman Stevenson of The Dark Exact. Speak the charm of make charm of make charm. There will come a time on the planet Earth when science and technology will be long forgotten. When wizards will rule the world. This is the Arnamancy Podcast. Exploring esotericism, tarot, magic, and the occult. I am Reverend Eric. Welcome back to the Arnamancy Podcast. This is Eric, Eric Arneson. <coughs> Excuse me. And I'm here today with uh, Travis Lawrence, who is an uh, artist, a printmaker, an explorer of symbolism, a meddler in metaphor, and an allegorical adventurer. And also, I have with me today uh, a surprise guest co host, Coleman Stevenson of The Dark Exact. Uh, hi, everybody. Hi, Travis. Hello. Thanks for having me. Uh, welcome to Oregon. This is my first time. How do you like it so far? So far, so good, besides the epidemic. <laughs> well, we're still going strong. We're still doing okay here in Oregon, and nobody, yeah. But um, So, uh, Travis uh, has a website, infinityprints.com. There's a hyphen in between infinity and yes. prints. And he produces these incredible wood prints that are filled with, like, bizarre symbolism and strange things that look like they came out of, like, weird alchemical manuscripts. And there's, like, minotaurs with boobs and uh, fish-eating Templars and everything is dripping stuff and there's swords and there's, like, eyeballs oozing out of trees and, like, things happening in the sky. There's, like... I think there's some owls wearing crowns in one point. There's lots of all-seeing eyes, uh, but it's it's a ton of stuff. I hope that is a pretty good summary of that's that's uh, that sums it all up. Yeah. All right, end of episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, so on your website, Travis, you talk about sort of being influenced by things like Jungian psychology and mm-hmm. mythology. But uh, but I also get the impression looking into your uh look you know actually looking at the work that it's not really just Jungian psychology that's really interesting you interested you there's a ton of alchemical imagery in your work and uh including just like in the names of some of the stuff um what when you what what uh, got you started with that kind of stuff um well i think jung really did kind of help send that direction for me he um he also was extremely influenced by alchemy Mm-hmm. Um, so not only just the approach of understanding symbols uh, in relation to uh, their archetypal value, but just the, you know, as he started exploring alchemy, 
Gnosticism, uh, just the symbolic usage in mythology. Okay. Uh, so yeah, I got into Jung probably in my early 20s, and uh, I was coming from a pretty standard Midwestern uh, Christian upbringing. <laughs> so that kind of threw me in a loop. Um, yeah, I could see that. Yeah. And, you know, looking for, for more meaning, stumbling onto guys like, like Jung. Um, Joseph Campbell was one of those early ones that usually influences people as well along those lines. Digging deeper, finding meaning within these, these tales, these stories I grew up with. And what about, so uh, <clears throat> you, you picked printmaking as mm-hmm. sort of your chosen art form, but uh, that's kind of, I mean, it's an, it's an uncommon art, you know, it's an uncommon medium. You don't, you know, people don't just sort of like wake up one day and be like, I'm going to be a printer. You know, everybody like doodles and scrapbooks and, you know, draws little hearts and stuff and they're trapper keepers or whatever. Yep. Uh, How did you get started with art? Uh, well, art's hard. That's hard to say. Um, that's just something that was with me since a young age. Uh-huh. I've always drawn just, you know, from, from a little kid onward, uh, dinosaurs and army figures. And I mm-hmm. even designed like basketball shoes. And I was a big <laughs> basketball fan in grade school and all that. So that was just naturally there. Just that, that creative urge, I guess you'd say. And, um, how did you find, uh, printmaking? Then? Printmaking? That was an accident. Yeah. Um, I, I was in and out of school. Uh, I wanted to study philosophy mm-hmm. and, uh, I signed up, I kind of overdid myself. I signed up with a double major in philosophy and anthropology with a focus on, uh, religious studies. Ah. So that was just overload input. Right. And right. It, it, it basically killed all of my output. <laughs> and I just started dropping those majors, and I ended up going back to the art building, signing up for a studio degree. But you'd already, it was too late. By that point, you'd seen the underbelly of reality, and the pictures were there. The images had already invaded you. Uh, yeah, yeah, I was, I was, I was kind of ruined at that point. Um, that intro, <laughs> intro to philosophy kind of did that for me. Um, but... By the time I switched over to a, the studio degree, I was initially going to go for photography because mm-hmm. I was doing a lot of photography at the time. And I got put into an intro to photography class and an intro to printmaking class. And I spent more time in the printmaking studio than the actual photography lab. That was a sign. So when it came to fine art stuff, did you kind of like skip uh, oil paint and uh, drawing still lifes and go straight to printmaking then? Uh well, I mean, yeah, th- those those classes, like the intro-wise, uh, I already had those under my belt. But yeah, for, for oil painting, I haven't really done a whole lot of oil painting, to be honest with you. I've, I've dabbled with it some just to play with it, but uh, definitely very amateur-esque in that, in that level. I, I dabbled in oil painting a little bit in college, and um, or maybe that was in high school. I don't remember. Yeah. That was a long time ago, but uh, I tried painting a duck. Yeah. It, it wasn't good. It wasn't good. It didn't, it didn't turn out well. If it wasn't a duck, what was it? It was kind of, I mean, it was duck-shaped blobs of color. I don't know. I, I guess, you know, uh, oil was tricky. Like, you know, acrylic is way easier than oil. With, with acrylic, you can sort of blend things together easily, and oil kind of, like, fights back or something, yeah. and it's weird and lumpy, and it's just sort of like, it didn't, it didn't get along with me, or I didn't get along with it. Um, so then... Uh, your early prints, like mm. when you first started doing it, were they um, were they filled with all this like esoteric symbolism right off the bat? Did you really uh, come out the gate that way? Kind of, yeah, yeah. Maybe not as refined as where I am now, mm-hmm. just because of age and just like my studies. Uh, I, I got into doing etchings first. That's what really pulled me into, and that's the process where you take a plate and you draw on it, and then you dip it in a bath of acid, like a copper plate. Yep, okay. yep. copper plate. You can use zinc. Um, and you, so that has like a coating over the top and the acid kind of eats away the coating and... Well, the coating prevents oh, the right. acid from eating at it. So you basically, you'll draw it and that opens up an open space and then that which is allows the acid to get to it. Okay. And uh, pretty much what that does is it takes drawing and it multiplies it by like 10 because you can get details that it's impossible to get with it, even like a fine point pen. And then uh, how did you move from, uh, from etching to uh, woodblock? Woodblocks. Uh, I was up in Chicago, 
and there's this uh, annual printmaking conference that goes around every year, very overpriced and uh, very academic-based, but the best stuff is all the parties that go along with it. Printmaking parties? Printmaking parties, which if you aren't in the know, then you don't understand. Because printmakers <laughs> know how to party, um, but yeah. So I was at a, it was uh, some gallery house party, dance party up in some. It was probably someone's loft that they lived in, and they just threw a big pop up show. And there was a couple woodblock prints by a guy named Pat Seals, mm-hmm. and I saw those, and I that's what I had to do. Timing was also good because since I. Like to drop out of college a bunch. I was a few years. Everybody needs a hobby. Yeah, yeah. I got a handful of those those dropouts. Um, I was a few years older than all the other undergrads, and we didn't share the same taste in music. So whenever we're in a studio together, they like to play in really loud emo core. Emo core. Okay. I'm, so it's. it's I feel cool. really glad that I don't know what that is. Yeah. No, you're good. Basically, what I would do is instead of hanging out in the studio and working with those kids, I would take a block home and I would carve it, and then I'd come into the studio after they left, and then I would do all the printing then. That sounds pretty cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> did you ever uh, – so, and have you kind of, like, stuck entirely with woodblock? Or I know that a lot of uh, woodblock um, printers also do, like, linoleum printing. Uh-huh. Do you do that too? Yeah, I, I use a – for smaller blocks, I'll use a material called Centra. Which What's is that? Uh, it's like a plastic composite. mm it's similar to linoleum, but it has less squish, and, okay. it, and it retains that detail. I like wood. I prefer wood, but when the, when it comes to like the smaller size, it's uh, there's more of a risk of, of chipping that happens. Okay. And since I really enjoy detail, it's you're less likely for error when it comes to some of these other materials. So it's more of a practical choice than an aesthetic. Okay. Yeah, I feel uh, linoleum doesn't do as much. A, it doesn't do as good a job of detail either, does it? Like it kind of. It, it can to an extent, mm-hmm. uh, but this other material is definitely definitely a better choice for getting like some of those fine sharp points and corners. So how then does um, your choice of doing uh, relief printing? How does that sort of affect your choice in subject matter? So, like, a lot of your images have kind of like a, a blockiness to them, like, mm-hmm. um, you know, really sort of really bold lines uh, mixed with, like, really delicate details. Mm-hmm. But then I've noticed another thing that you do a lot of times is you kind of leave a bunch of the little, like, raised edges in there, which um, adds this kind of, like, really, I don't know, a kind of, like, rustic look to the mm-hmm. to the work that sort of it's it's almost sort of, it kind of makes me feel like, being in some sort of like creepy television show where you walk into some sort of abandoned barn and there's like some sort of weird esoteric painting on the wall and you're like, <laughs> oh my god, it's a mystery. Yeah. Uh, and I, I mean, I love it, right? Like it's got this eeriness to it. But how? Uh, so how does how does that play into your? How does the medium? I guess what I'm asking is how does your medium play into the choice of your imagery that you use? You mean like just some some noise to the painting and just some yeah yeah uh, that's that's intentional. It's. Uh, you know, if I wanted something like super precise and exact, then I would just do digital work. So this this allows it to have life, and knowing that you, you can look at a woodcut and you know that this was this was a woodcut. It's it's you you can replicate it digitally, but to an extent, right? It's kind of you can see you when you look at a woodcut print, mm-hmm. you can see the blood, sweat, and tears that went into it. Yes, yeah, yeah. You, you can you can feel that stuff too, but and also just like the texture of the, of the ink, mm-hmm. uh, especially if you're using wood, how you can get the grain in it. Yeah, it's just it's it's this natural feel that you just can't get elsewhere. I kind of want to make a woodcut print right now. Should. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I, I've got uh, stuff for linoleum cut printing upstairs, but um, I don't think I have any blocks of wood. <laughs> It's uh, part of your porch outside. Ooh, good call. All right. Well, we'll be back after this brief <laughs> 10-day break. <laughs> you have a phrase that I saw repeated in a, in a few um, of your pieces, uh, vita somnium breve, mm-hmm. uh, which translates something like uh, life is like an uncomfortable nap. <laughs> or, yeah. or life is a life. short dream. Life, <laughs> life is a brief dream. Yeah. Um, but the, the, the repetition of that in, in, across some of your pieces makes me feel like there's, 
there's something like really key to that phrase that um, that is part of like the message you're trying to get across. And can you talk a little bit about that? I totally, I know I should have phrased that in the form of a question, but uh, I'm apparently like I'm, I'm only an amateur interviewer, so. <laughs> Um, well, yeah. So talking about like symbolism and and deciphering uh, just just meaning, obviously that's a big part of my work. But also too, just understanding that life itself and the experiences that we have, the, the symbolism in that it is a even though we are conscious beings that we like to believe some of us, some of us, yeah. There is there is a <laughs> there is a. Uh, <laughs> Unveiling or a, um, what you say, an, an awakening that, that we're also trying to do as well. And you'll, you'll see that like in the Gnostics and mm-hmm. uh, many of those, those philosophies that those individuals inspired. Um, so yeah, it's kind of leaning on that. I think, um, one of the pieces that I saw this and that really, really struck me is you've got a picture, uh, one of your pieces has a, an Ouroboros, um, but he's like a dragon Ouroboros. So he's like, kind of snoozing uh, and he's got his wings and he's still like chewing on his own tail mm-hmm. and in a way like having like this sleeping dragon chewing on his tail uh really made me think of like um a child sucking his thumb when he's asleep uh, <laughs> but out of him is this this like dream cloud from which this giant clockwork mm. thing appears and yeah. i can't remember all the details but i think there's like an eyeball in the clock or something and it's on the clock it says it says your little phrase yeah and i was i remember just sort of looking at that and being like there's there's a lot of stuff going on here like is that a baby dragon first of all uh do dragons dream but if a dragon <laughs> did dream why would it like a dragon dreaming of a clock is just uh like there, there's a lot packed into that that's my favorite piece of that entire series yeah, nice. I thought that uh, I mean like part of it is uh, you know the, the, the clock uh, kind of seemed to me to symbolize sort of like the clockwork nature of the universe or yes. the, yep. the something me- of that nature the mechanical that, yeah. right, and time right you know? so right. it's, it's right. you know the, the the dragon typically is a symbol of, of chaos mm-hmm. uh, and so many classic mythologies and traditions reference you know creation was born out of chaos yeah uh, so it, it definitely plays on that so yeah b- coming out of it is this mechanized form that measures time so it's kind of ordo ab cow it's the, yeah it's it's order emerging out of the dream of chaos yep. yes Ooh, I, I like that <laughs> um so, uh, all right, so then, like, uh, but you're, so the more I looked at your pieces, the more I saw that, like, it wasn't really just Jungian psychology and mythology that was informing the symbolism you're using. So you've got a lot of, um, you've got a lot of, like, Kabbalistic symbolism sort of mm-hmm. hidden in interesting places, uh, such as, like, uh, there's, like, lightning swords. Uh, in one piece, you have kind of, like, uh, the pieces of the Tree of Life sort of, like, scattered across a book where they're sort of separated, um, can you talk a little bit about how um, how Kabbalistic imagery started to uh, interact with the Jungian alchemy stuff that you were sure, looking at? Sure. Uh, a lot of during the this, the process of making this this recent series, which um, right now I'm finishing them up. It's I've, I've currently got about thirty six to this series that I've been calling Pillars. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, they're mostly called pillars because of the mostly their shape. Primarily, they're long and they're thin, very pillar shaped. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, it comes from the the classic tales of uh, you know you hear the story of these pillars that were buried uh, by say like you know, in some cases it was Enoch, right, um, right, like the pillars of bronze and stone or yes, whatever. Yeah. yeah, and within them were were these these secrets of the universe, uh, mm-hmm. the cosmos, so to say. So it's kind of playing on that as well as they're they're these they contain this this knowledge this information and also with you know Kabbalah and you got the tree of life you got you got the pillars right you know, right and as you're working up the pillars and um, you're also discovering and learning this makes me feel like perhaps uh, there might be like even more Kabbalistic symbolism hidden in sets of your paintings or in sets of your pieces instead of just looking at one, right? So, Oh yeah. Definitely. Okay. Yeah. And during, during this, this process of just making this body of work, um, just Kabbalistic readings and influences were, were there. So obviously it seeped into it. 
What kind of uh, what kind of Kabbalah did you start to get into? Like, what did you start looking at? Like specific schools? Yeah. Like how how did you come across it, and what kind of sang to you the most? Yeah, I, I, I can't really say like anything specific as in a a particular Kabbalistic school or tradition necessarily. Obviously, the the Hermetic Kabbalah, right, right. Um, was where a lot of my interest came just because of the just the, the thick uh, symbolic weight that it carries and oh, how, yeah. it, how it pulls in all these other these other traditions into it at that time. Yeah, it's uh, it's got like a really syncretic nature. Like it yeah. just sucks in everything and tries to sort of associate itself with everything. Right, right. You know, especially it being one. You know, I, I guess you would say a more modern version of it, if, if that's what you want to say, but. Um, you know, by that time, you know, it's got all these other cultures and philosophies, and kind of that it's tying in with it. So, what um, what other cultures or what other uh, like schools of symbolism, like outside of kind of like European uh, stuff, do you feel most drawn to? It's most of my stuff is Western. Okay, yeah, um, you know, kind of back to like my history, like you know, growing up in this this very Christian upbringing. I think by 19 or so, you know, I, I did the, the rebellious go looking for something else. And, uh, I did, I did look into Eastern thought and I could say I pulled some, some influence from it, but it didn't, it didn't stick. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it actually, it pulled me back into Gnosticism, which kind of had like a tinge of, of that idea. It does. Yeah. But it being versed in Western, say language, just the way that I think. I was able to relate to it more than, say, studying Hinduism or, or um, in philosophy. Yeah, I guess I can I can kind of identify that with that. I actually uh, just recently, for the first time, I went to a Shingon Buddhist uh, mm-hmm. ceremony, and um, it was fascinating. And I was totally blown away by how much stuff I did not know. Yeah. Like I was just I was like, well, some of this makes total sense, and some of this I. I had no idea. Yeah. But it's, yeah. I mean, I guess part of it is there's just so much. Yeah. There's so much esoteric knowledge and esoteric symbolism out there. It's, you can't, you can, you can spend your whole life getting lost in the weeds. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Even, even today I was having a conversation with my friend Joseph and he, he was going off on uh, a lot of uh, both, both Hindu ends and philosophy on the phone. And you know, I was just kind of, Saying yeah, cool the whole time because I wasn't following. <laughs> so. I have a question about that actually. All right. Just in in thinking about you and your your viewer, the audience for your work. Mm-hmm. So given that there's this amount of symbolism that's pulling from you know maybe not those traditions but a lot of different traditions, what is your like? How much do you think about your viewers' experience of your work, and do you hope? that they are going to explore those things, that your prints could be prompts for them to try to learn more about any of this? Or are you mm-hmm. satisfied if they are simply having a positive aesthetic experience with your pieces? Uh, I, I would hope they have a positive aesthetic experience with it. The The imagery that I, that I use, I, I, I don't come to it thinking of it as, say, a product that's going to be presented to a crowd. But I do present the stuff in a manner that does encourage contemplation and hopefully research, too, if, if they really actually are drawn to it. Uh, I don't give too much away as for an overall meaning to it. I usually don't like talking about an entire overall meaning to an individual piece because I think at that point it it creates a seal that discourages that research. Uh, I'll talk about elements of it and mm-hmm. and certain things that play into it, but I'm I'm not a fan of dictating the meaning even though I am the, the hand that's creating it. Do you always know, do you always know exactly what the accumulation of all of your own symbolism in a piece is coming to? No. Uh, there, there's pieces where I've come back years later and still discover things with them. That I find really interesting, um, <clears throat> especially since, like, the first time I saw your work was uh, 
uh, last September at the Texts and Traditions uh, Symposium up in up in Seattle, and um, there were a couple pieces where right away I was like, oh, this guy's a Freemason. Like I saw, you know, and it wasn't, you know, I mean, one of them was a dead giveaway. There's like a dude with an apron, yeah. and I was kind of like, all right, that's yeah. cool. But there's yeah. other stuff <laughs> where I where I saw it, and I was like, oh, I know where this imagery came from. Like mm-hmm. this is like really speaking to me. Yeah. And I just remember having this feeling like, oh, this is going to be really fun to talk to him about these particular images. Mm-hmm. Um, but I could also see like you had, it was sort of like there was an influence, right? Like there was definitely Freemasonry going on there, but, uh, but there was, it wasn't, it wasn't alone. You know, you, yeah. there was other stuff happening. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so can you, so how much has, uh, so I don't know, I guess I don't, I know we talked about it a little bit, but I don't mm-hmm. remember like how long have you been a Freemason and, Actually, then I have some follow-up questions. Sure, sure. Just ask that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've been a Freemason for about seven years now. And it's kind of a similar thing. Like, I saw Freemasonry as this resource of symbolic investigation and exploration. Um, seeing, as an outsider, seeing that the way that they use symbol through their way of communication and ritual. Mm-hmm. It was extremely intriguing for me. Uh, kind of like a funny story with that, too. It was like several years before I actually joined when I was wanting to join. And I even had, when I was working at this print shop, there was the, the master printer there. He was a Freemason. Okay. And he was looking at my stuff, watching me you know, make the work that I do. And I remember there was a day where he was just like, Charles, like, when, when the hell are you going to be a Freemason? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, well, I, I've got two two goals this year, and uh, one of them was to go to Burning Man, and the other one was to join a Freemasonic Lodge. And he goes, Travis, Freemasons don't go to Burning Man. <laughs> oh, he is so... There are so many Oregon <laughs> oh, yeah, Masons yeah. who go to Burning Man. There are lots of Freemasons. Yes, I, I discovered that <laughs> later on, but it was a little discouraging, because I was like, man, maybe maybe I'm not cut for this. Maybe um, maybe I'm a little too, too fringy. Um, a little too too hippie-ish, if that's the word, um, for it. But um, I mean, I can't smell you from here. <laughs> yes, good. There hasn't been any patchouli that I've yeah, seen. Yeah, I mean, it yeah. seems. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was a little, I don't, I don't know. No, I've always been pretty unkept. Um, <laughs> but no, I ended, I ended up, uh, you know, there's one day I remember whenever I, I, I pulled the trigger, and, um, you know, at the time I was living in St. Louis in Missouri and I just went to the Missouri Grand Lodge website and I shot him a, an email or mm-hmm. whatever submission. And, uh, a couple days later I got a response back from an individual who said, Hey, I got your, uh, I got your email and, uh, and, you know, just, you know, just curious about your interest in joining. And I responded back, uh, Pretty, pretty straightforward, telling them, you know, this is what I'm into. I'm into the esoteric symbolism. I'm into the historical significance of it. Uh, and I talked to him about my art. And I was like, I'm an artist. This is what I do. I use these symbols. And I'm just looking for just more knowledge on it. And he responded back. And he's like, oh, yeah, I've, I've seen your artwork. I know who you uh, are. What? And I was just like, holy <laughs> shit. Like, That's pretty these, cool. These guys awesome. do know everything. Like, <laughs> Everything worth knowing. Yeah, and um, yeah, he pulled me in. He was my he was my mentor, and uh, he goes to Burning Man every year. <laughs> um, I mean, I <laughs> I can't wait to till this episode is over so I can ask you some questions about some Burning Man Freemasons that you might have met. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, there's uh, there's some that go there and they they go out in the playa and they open lodge. I've uh, I've wondered if that was the case. Mm-hmm. Um, we probably shouldn't call out any specific names. Yeah. There you <laughs> um, wow, that's that's pretty fascinating. Yeah, when I uh, when I joined Freemasonry, which was like twenty years ago, mm-hmm. actually, uh, I was pretty unkempt. I was a I was definitely a hippie. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> I think I was even wearing a tie dye shirt the first time I went to lot went to a lodge. Oh boy! And uh, <laughs> after going through the uh, petitioning process, my my the guy who became my mentor, mm-hmm. um, he sort of looked at me he's like. You know what? You might want to think about cleaning up before you go through your initiation. <laughs> I was like, "What are you talking about, man?" <laughs> so you know, I like shaved and stuff. Mm. <laughs> put on put on some clothes that didn't have holes in them, and <laughs> I think I got a suit. Probably my yep. first. <laughs> that, that was yep. I got my first suit. 
Well, that's awesome. It was it was a it was a, a real delight, sort of seeing that imagery in there, um, especially sort of the way that it kind of like uh, ended up uh, intermeshing or intermingling with the alchemical symbolism. Um, in particular, because you know a lot of masons out there get really obsessed with alchemy, yep. um, especially through stuff like the Scottish Rite, which uh, which kind of tries to explicitly call out alchemy a few times, even though they do it in like weird backwards ways, and mm-hmm. they get like some of the symbols wrong. And you're kind of like, if you read about alchemy and you read about this, then you like look at the Scottish Rite stuff. You're sort of like, yeah, eh, yeah. I don't know about this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then you get like, uh, I mean. You know the works of like Timothy Hogan and stuff, where he's uh, like Freemasonry is all about alchemy. But you read his works, and you're <laughs> kind of like, this doesn't make any sense at all. Are people actually getting excited about this book? And yes, yes, I'm actually, they are. I'm actually pretty decent friends with them. Oh, sorry. I no, no, you're good. You're good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I haven't. I don't think I've met him before, but yeah, yeah. he's a nice guy. Um. So, all right. So another theme. <laughs> I believe that he's a nice guy. <laughs> uh, another theme that has shown up in some of your artwork is uh, hermeticism, mm-hmm. which I understand since it's so uh, connected to um, alchemy. But in one of your pieces uh, called Ascension, you've got all of this hermetic symbolism going on uh, without a lot of alchemy stuff. Mm-hmm. And so it's just purely like you've got these... Um, kind of like entwined ibises up at the top of the painting. Mm-hmm. And then these sort of like cascading intertwined snakes, like an upside down, uh, caduceus. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, looking at that piece, I was really struck by, uh, well, I was struck by some pieces in it that I don't really understand. And I don't want you to give it away because I want to think about it a little bit sure. more, but, uh, but I do sort of, I, I am sort of curious as to, um, how uh, the hermetic philosophies, like mm-hmm. sort of like the the you know the Thoth symbolism and the and the Hermes symbolism, like how how did you come across that, uh, and how did you separate it from your alchemical stuff? Well, one, I guess I don't want to say that I make strictly work that's confined to alchemy. Okay, oh, um, yeah, I don't either. I don't mean to. I didn't mean to like no, you're, you're, shoehorn you. <laughs> <laughs> um, that piece, though. Uh, yeah, I think that definitely has a very hermetic feel to it. You have the you know, the ibis and a bird that essentially rises upward, and mm-hmm. then the snakes are going downward. So there's definitely a flow of as above, so yeah. below happening there. All right, I'm gonna have to. I'm lo- I'm looking forward to looking that one at, at that one again. I I just saw it for the first time today, so I was kind of like, ooh, this is. Um, okay, so then you guys have a show this weekend. The, not a show. Uh, I have Coleman a show. Coleman has a show. Okay. Well, we're but, not we're not interviewing. No, you, but we're teaching a workshop. Together. Oh yeah, and yeah. the workshop is like what? Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. It's it's a printmaking workshop. Is it for complete noobs? Like, is it going to be people who have never picked up a? I don't even know what those things are called. It's not a chisel. What do you call those things? Yeah. Uh, you call them knives, blades, whatever. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, sharp objects. A sharp, yeah. People who have never picked up a sharp object people before. Never, yeah. Um, hopefully they don't stab themselves because I don't think we have insurance forms. <laughs> just need like... They lube. can stab themselves, just not someone else. Well, yeah. they, can, they can stab themselves as long as they don't blame us for stabbing themselves. Yes. So. I think you should probably just make them sign waivers. In their own blood. In their own blood. Yeah, after the stabbing. So it, whenever I went to undergrad, uh-huh. we had a sheet on the wall. Um, oh, what was it called? It was called like the, oh man, it was like, it was had such an elaborate name, you know, like the Treaties of the Bloody Thumb or something like that, to where if you, if you cut yourself in the shop, you had to basically get your finger uh-huh. and get a thumbprint of your own blood and put it up yes. on, on the wall. Oh, I love and, that. Um, don't tell Osha. Oh my God. I, I won't tell Osha. <laughs> you, you were telling that story about the oh, oh my yeah. God, oh. So guy in that, class that was that high school. Gouge yeah. so. the joint of his thumb and forefinger. Yeah, oh. yeah. Printmaking's it's it's rough. I mean, it's, if you're if you're carving wood, it's it's hard. Oh uh, yeah, it's a very physical act. But yeah, if you're handling sharp objects, you're probably going to cut yourself at some point. So. Yeah, I remember. I, your hand. I don't think I ever cut myself very badly, but I remember when I was first doing, uh, you know, linoleum uh, printing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't know about that weird little device that just that sheet of metal that you like sit over the side of your 
table. Oh yeah. So yeah. hold your linoleum block uh-huh. in place. Yep. Oh. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Never used one of those. Yeah. Yeah. You probably should check it out. It's they're, impossible they're to cheap. not be cavalier about it, right? I mean, you're carving, and you're like, "Oh my God, I got such a good groove. Mm-hmm. I'm going so smooth. I can put my finger right yep. there." And then, yep. of course, oh yeah, every that's time. It. That's yeah. it. <laughs> I've been <laughs> I've been pretty good with not cutting myself while carving. Uh-huh. Just u- while you're not carving? It's usually when I'm not carving. <laughs> yeah, it's like me reaching for oh, yeah. another tool, and I stab my hand doing that way or something like that. Or uh, that is so or evil I'd core. turn to <laughs> yell at my cat or something. Right. And- <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's just... It, well, it's hard because, you know, when you're... You know, if you get, like, a nice curve going... I don't know how much you can actually curve when you're cutting wood, but, like, with the linoleum, you can get a pretty good curved line, and that's not going to... You're not going to... Yes. Well, that's a big mistake because you're making long cuts, and long cuts is usually where it gets you. Yep. Uh, yeah, okay. You can't yeah. sustain it as long as yeah. you think you can. Yeah, it'll just it'll jump at some point. Yep. Well, but to answer your question, <laughs> we, we probably are going to have a mix of experience levels in the class. I'm certain of it. I know uh-huh. at least one person who signed up who hasn't done it before. So yeah. I think that'll be great. Yeah, I think it'd be cool to have a mix. Yeah, and the theme of the class is kind of a little bit about collaboration too. It's a, so yep. Yes. Is it going to be, uh, what do they call it, exquisite corpse style? You know, people like start on a block and then pass it to their neighbor and everybody's going to... Not so much the block passing, right. but unless we make some last minute changes, maybe. Okay, we but, feel free to use that idea. Yeah, we'll give you credit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, let's see, I'm pretty sure I must have had some more <laughs> questions. Um <laughs> Let's, oh, yeah. Oh, so, like, you're way out here on the West Coast mm-hmm. right now. Um, how did that happen? Like, what, who found you? Did you, uh, did you, like, solicit uh, William uh, up at Orobris Press, or did uh, he find you? I, I was originally in the Esoteric Book Conference 2015, I think it okay. was. Uh-huh. Um, I was one of the featured artists there. Okay. And, um, yeah, yeah, I made friends with William. He opened up Mort Lake between then and now and talked about having a show. And then a couple of years ago, I'd, I guess maybe a year ago, um, yeah, I just hit him up and was like, hey, you still into that idea of a show? And he's like, yeah, let's do it. It's, it's uh, September. And that was the, the weekend of the uh, Text and Traditions, which was perfect. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. Uh, so, so, but I mean, as the featured artist, did did you come to the Esoteric Book Conference at all before then? No. Uh, okay. No. I was aware of it, The I think, the previous time it was around, and it was just on my radar. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think I sent in a submission, and they, okay. they, they emailed me back and said, yeah, come on out. Have you, um, have you been featured at any other sort of, like, esoteric conferences or things like that? Like, what, how... Uh, I don't even know, because you're from, what, like, Illinois or I- Indiana or... In some something with an I, Illinois, Illinois, yeah, yeah, yes. same thing. Really. <laughs> it's it's a long ways away. It's hard to keep everything straight. Yeah, it's a big field south of Chicago. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've been to Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's a beautiful field. Don't downplay it. It's a, it's a it nice field. Much. Yeah. We got, Sorry, great, it's we got great coyotes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, like, how's what's the esoteric uh, community like out there? Like, how how much do you, do you get a lot of appreciation for your artwork in Illinois? Uh, well, St. Louis is is the hub, like the okay. the, the metropolitan city for me. Um, it's a very small community, esoteric wise. Okay, uh, mostly uh, Freemasonry is probably the the biggest, the largest kind of. Uh, gathering of any sort there there is like a I think there's a there's like a amwork temple in town there and but there, there's more there's a lot of um some covens uh-huh. in the area i'm not as familiar with them but I, I definitely know there's a presence in that there's there's a lot of that uh especially kind of like on the outskirts and it's, it's pretty quiet um, but they're they're definitely present and they don't make themselves very loud which is uh-huh. understandable for you know like that area it's it's has their has their stuff uh, influenced your artwork at all? Like, have you stuck any like, secret witchcraft into your? No, no, no. I I'm, I'm not as familiar with that that current to really 
take too much from them or anything like that. It's, All right. It's definitely appreciated. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> um, and so then how did you start to uh, get known outside of that area? Like what was your first foray into the uh, non-Midwestern world? Um, <laughs> the extra Midwestern? I don't know what you'd call it. <laughs> it's, uh, have you ever seen Beverly Hillbillies? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. It's kind of like that. We, we, See, we piled up everything in the pickup and <laughs> headed west. After striking oil. <laughs> it was more like printer's ink and not oil. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> Different kind of bubbling crude. <laughs> no, I, I'd, I'd had shows around. Um, okay. Yeah, I, I've, I've been showing, especially in like group shows around the country and some out of the States as well. Um, there's a There's a gallery out in San Jose, uh-huh. um, Anno Domini. Uh, I did a solo show there 2017, so that was very, relatively recent. Okay. Um, i got another one there coming up, either going to be this fall or next uh, next spring, possibly. It hasn't been set in stone, but it's the show itself is coming. Oh, that's pretty so, exciting! And then I've got a solo show coming up in May in St. Louis. When you um, when you do the solo shows, do you usually travel to the place so you can like hang yeah. out and talk to people and stuff? Yeah, solo that's shows. Yeah, cool. yeah, group shows. It's kind of tricky to do. Uh huh. Um, but solo shows, it's yeah, you, you kind of have to for that. Yeah, yeah. When you when you um, when you make a piece, when you finish a block of wood, do you uh, make more than one print? Do you do like a series? Usually, I'll do an edition. Uh, most of the time, they're around twelve. Okay. So. Oh, because you color them later by hand. Hand colored. Yep. Okay. So yeah, that's, that's kind of fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you can do multiple blocks to lay down color. I don't want to do that. Uh, but there's also there's a tradition of it, anyways, where classically, you know, they would they would do these manuscripts mm-hmm. uh, or books, and um, they would have peasants, minions, whatever you want to call them. <laughs> I think they call them uh, serfs. Serfs. <laughs> um, yeah, they would, they, would, they would go back and they would hand paint them. Um, and you can tell that they're hand painted, which is really nice because they were doing them very quickly and fast to where they're outside of the lines. They're kind of sloshed a little bit, but it, it, gives, oh. it, it gives it life. It, it's, it, it makes it better that way. Okay. Um, okay, so it kind of, you feel like that adds... Well, that makes every single one in your series uh, unique. Yes. Right. So yep. you. Yeah. So that's the, kind of cool. Yeah. Collectively, they they are the same, but each one is an individual piece that does get yeah. plenty of individual attention. Do you uh, what what sort of paint do you use for those? What, what do it's, you use? It's a watercolor type paint. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, do you ever sell just black and white ones and let your clients color them themselves? <laughs> If they want to, you buy it if, if that's what you wanted to do with it. Yeah, yeah I guess. <laughs> I mean, you know, I would just, yeah, I'm just thinking sort of like long, skinny coloring book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's like the Boto Tarot. Because, I mean, that was oh, yeah, another, that's in tarot, true. that's right. another yeah. long tradition where right. in the history of it, they would be printing the lines and then hand coloring in. And, oh, yeah. and a lot of that was so that you learned and you connected with this piece, and which I feel yeah, very fortunate. Deck, for yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. And, f- and for me, um, you know, just, I love carving. That's, that's my passion to it. Mm-hmm. But that's this individual focus into a block, and that's not the finished piece. The right. finished piece is the, the print to it, to where um, if I were just to print it, it's that's it. You know, it's, it doesn't get that, that focus attention, um, that just forced intent put into it for hours. So coming back after and then individually painting each one, you know, there's there is there is an energy and intent put into each individual one, and it's like that relationship just continues to, to blossom with that that imagery. That um, that's actually that's kind of fascinating to me. Uh, I mean, one of my favorite artists of all time is Albrecht Dürer, mm-hmm. and um, and he you know he, he did just piece after piece after piece, but he would do you know five hundred of a printer or something like that, maybe sure. not five hundred, but a lot. Yeah. Um, but it's just fascinating because you can see a lot of work went into his actual plates. Mm-hmm. But uh, not always by him. 
not always by him, but also they probably <laughs> didn't. He probably didn't do the actual printing itself. He probably just went on to the next plate and yeah. wasn't in, you know, as intimately involved in like the finished product. And that's kind of a that's sort of fascinating. So you're almost sort of like um, you're involved in every step. I am. Yeah. And are you Are you growing the trees? <laughs> <laughs> I, I have no more trees. No more. T- <laughs> I already printed them all. <laughs> the way you talk about it, though, it, I mean, it sounds like a spiritual practice. It that, is. That part of the work. Like, yeah. When you do the carving, that part, mm-hmm. do you think of that as being ritual work? Or It, it totally is, yeah. it's. I mean, one, you put yourself into a mind state. Um, if, if you are going to talk anything about you know, Eastern thinking, just the Zen-like state that you put yourself into, into that, that repetitive action, and, and you, you definitely zone in. Okay. Um, but at the same time, too, you know, you, you're focusing on these visuals, and there are these symbols that carry this archetypal value to it. Mm-hmm. So you are essentially having this relationship with these. Um, so the show that I got coming up in May, uh, the title is going to be called Synthomata, and it's a... It's a Greek term. Uh, Iamblichus really liked it. Basically, what synthomata is, is it's the essence found in material objects to where when the soul comes in contact with it, it bridges that gap with the soul with the divine. Oh, that's a great term. Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah. Uh, Okay, wait. So you've got a show coming up in May. In May, yeah. This is going to be in St. Louis, okay. uh, Hoffman Lachance Gallery. All right, cool. Uh, and um, will there be details about that on your website? Uh, once they officially announce it. Okay. But, um, yeah, I'll put something up on there. Instagram is the probably the best, most uh, steady form of updates and Okay. That's just going to be Travis Lawrence, one word. Okay, Travis Lawrence. And then yep. your website is infinity-prince.com. Yeah. Okay. Do you have any other cool shows coming up? Um, outside of the following solo show that I have lined up in California, which is either going to be this fall or May. No. Okay. So people should follow you on Instagram if they yeah. want to see... Yep. The next uh, Travis Lawrence. That's the best. Yeah, and I I, I do my best to update like process shots and and stuff that I'm working on just to which is it is a pretty great thing to see like going onto your Instagram and seeing the actual wood blocks themselves. Sort of like, I mean, yeah, that that makes it more. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's fascinating to watch the 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 process. A lot of people don't understand the process too, especially with printmaking. You know, like you were saying early on, it's it's you know it's. It's a very old art medium. Oh, it um, is. But at the same time, most people, even though they do interact with it daily, they don't really know or understand it, Yeah. Uh, especially this traditional process to it. So seeing these pieces when they're finished, you know, everybody always asks me you know, about you know, this painting or did you draw this? And it's uh-huh. like... <laughs> <laughs> I drew it with a knife. Yeah, <laughs> well, I, I do. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I mean, uh, printmaking, you know, I mean, I probably have looked at printmaking more than more than most people but i still get totally lost in all the terminology you know i mean there's you know you get past you get past sort of the the old stuff and you get like like even into copper plate you've got five or six different types of copper plate printing Mm -hmm. and then you get into the modern stuff with like the glass plate stuff and the lithographs and the monograph i don't even i i'm just uh i'm gonna just use the wrong words and coleman (laughs) is just gonna laugh at me like that she's gonna laugh at me (laughs) um so, uh, so I think that's just super fascinating. Um, so, all right. Well, we've talked about your upcoming shows. We've mm-hmm. talked about uh, your website and your Instagram. Is there any other important message that you have for the listeners right now? No, I mean it's it's mostly yeah. Come come check it out. Um, let me know what you think. All right. Do you have any questions for for us? <laughs> <laughs> I have one more question for you. Ooh, ooh. Just in case there are any uh, any artists out there who want to know more about your process. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it was interesting. I've heard you talk about that before with that, that situation in art school where the collective studio environment was mm-hmm. just tedious for mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. and you had to jet out of there to, to mm-hmm. do your work. 
What is your ideal environment for working, and why do you think that is? Uh, I prefer solitude, and that may be a lot of personality as well, um, which isn't always the best for printmaking. Printmaking is <laughs> a very, I don't want to say a social art form, but traditionally print labs themselves need people. Um, right, they'd have whole workshops. Yeah, and well, they're also usually like co-ops, um, mm -hmm. you know, because there's equipment and, you know, it's, you need groups of people in, in right, there. Right. So, um, but in my situation, I have a press at home. I, I did need that situation to learn the process, but as as of now, no, it's it's me uh, in my own environment, in my own space, in my own thoughts. So you use a press with your wood blocks? Yes. Okay. Yep. But yeah. you don't need. Well, I mean, I guess there's tons of different ways, but like you can. So like wood blocks can also be done just by laying the paper over it and rubbing it with a burl or. It can, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it'll wear your arm out, but it's oh, yeah. doable. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You can use things like spoons. Oh yeah, um, I think that's what I've done. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's. I, I had to do that too before I had a, a press. Okay. Um, huh. Yeah. It's. It'll. You do a couple of them, and you got definitely have to take a break. So. <laughs> well, uh, thanks for coming on the Arnamancy podcast. Thank I'm you super for glad me. that we had this opportunity. I mean, welcome to Oregon, and. Um, I guess you're probably leaving tomorrow for Washington, but it's good to. I'm glad that you got to stop by our my amazing uh, secret studio yeah, while you were here. It's impressive. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, until next time, stay weird, everybody. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Arnamancy podcast. You can find me online at arnamancy.com, where you can schedule a tarot reading or peruse the Arnamancy blog. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher. If you like this podcast, support it for just $1 a month through Patreon at patreon.com slash arnamancy.